Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Please don't raise your hand on this, but have you ever lost a tool that you really needed? Or you pulled out a tool on a project to find out that it was broken or dull or didn't work. I've found it to be very frustrating not being equipped with the right tools. Now, this is me, and some of you may have had this story happen to you. There have been times where I've done some home repair projects where I have gone to Home Depot four or five times in one day to get a tool, to return a tool, to not have the right size, and, and then by the end of the day, you're just frustrated because you could have hired somebody to do that as opposed to you doing all of this work, trying to get the right tool. Well, on November 3rd of this past year, something very unique happened in outer space. Two NASA astronauts were doing daily routine maintenance on the International Space Station. And during their spacewalk, they dropped a locked bag full of tools that they needed to complete the project. The tools just kind of floated into outer space. Now think about how frustrating that would be. Now if you drop a tool, you go and you find it. You drop a tool in outer space, what happens? There it goes. (laughs) There goes my tools. So this bag of tools was actually visible from, from Earth. You could see this bag of tools floating around November 5th with a telescope. And NASA tells us there's a lot of space junk orbiting our atmosphere. Pieces of the space shuttle that have broken apart, broken satellites, and also tools used by astronauts. It's very frustrating to not have a tool to work, to not be equipped with the right kind of tool. What would it be like if that was what our Christian life was like? Now, imagine this. God somehow dropped our spiritual toolkit and it's floating around in space and he doesn't know what to do and he's trying really hard to equip us to live the Christian life. Is that the kind of God we serve? No, that's not the kind of God we serve. Thankfully, we serve a sovereign God who never is frustrated and has ultimate power. Now, why do I bring up losing tools, being equipped with tools, having the right tools, being equipped Because what I want us to do is I want us to look at this passage in Hebrews that's all about being equipped. Now, this is a benediction. A benediction is a closing prayer. It's how the book of Hebrews ends. And so I thought it would be interesting to begin 2024 with a benediction. So we're ending and beginning kind of backwards. (laughs) This is usually how something ends, but I'm going to use it this morning as a way to start 2024 as we launch into the new year. This is my favorite benediction in the New Testament, one of my favorite prayers, and so it's just two verses, and it is a prayer. 
that the writer of the Hebrews ends his letter with. So let us read it together. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a prayer, and here's the main point of this passage of Scripture. God equips us with everything we need to do his will. He equips us with everything we need. Now, this prayer is divided up into four parts. So we're going to explore this prayer, the four parts of the prayer. And the first thing we see is the reverence, how it's addressed, the reverence. The writer of Hebrews begins this prayer with a reverence, may the God of peace. In the original language, it's structured as a humble request. That's why the ESV has it, may. Literally, you could say, oh Lord, please, would you do this? And so, this is a thoroughly God-centered prayer. It's not, bless me, it's not me-centered. It starts with, may the God of peace. The God who brings peace. This is not a God who gives you kind of a peaceful, easy feeling. What this is, is it's an objective peace that comes through salvation. We've been saying this over the past few weeks as we were leading up to Christmas and as we're launching into the new year. Without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not have peace with God. You don't have the peace of God. You don't have peace with God because before your salvation, you were separated and you were at war with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus. And if you read further on down in that passage of Scripture, you find out what Jesus has done in His cross. In Romans 5, 9-10, Since therefore we've now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from, what do we save from? The wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, before our salvation, we were under God's wrath. We were enemies of God, and we needed to be reconciled. And through the blood of Jesus, we now have peace with God. An objective peace to know that your sins have been forgiven and that all of your sin has been taken to Jesus and all of his righteousness has been given to you so that God can look down upon your life and say, Not guilty, accepted. You are forgiven and so it's this peace with God but it's also the God who brings peace not just the peace that comes through salvation but this peace that God promises to give us at all times to sustain us to the end first Thessalonians 5 23 through 24 says this now may the God of peace 
himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God will give you this peace. He will sanctify you. He will make sure you make it to the end of your salvation on that day. And then Jesus says right before he goes to the cross to his disciples in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God gives us peace. Now this is the the scripture that was used to open up our worship service this morning. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, the ESV translates that Hebrew word welfare. It's the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace, well-being. God has plans for you to experience peace. Now, what is shalom or the peace of God? Leon Morris, I think, has given the best definition I've found. Leon Morris is an Australian commentator of old. He says this, Shalom, peace. Quote, it stands for spiritual well-being at the highest level. A prosperity of soul resulting from being in a right relationship with God. Not just a feeling of calm, but the life confidence of reconciliation with God. The life confidence to know that you are in a right relationship with God and also that deep sense of well-being and security that comes from knowing your sins have been forgiven. Here's the bottom line. We have peace with a powerfully holy God who earlier, the writer of Hebrews, in just one chapter earlier, says this about God in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Now now think about the implications of this. Are you not thankful that you have peace with this God, this holy God, this consuming fire of a God, this God who has every right to judge you for your sins if if your sins have been judged in jesus because he died on the cross and you have faith with him you have peace with this god and that brings up the second question we've got to ask this morning as we explore this prayer how can we have peace with this god who is a consuming fire what's the basis for this peace how can we even come into god's presence and ask him for anything what's the reason so secondly what's the reason that we can come into the presence of this God of peace and ask for anything. What's the reason? Well, here's the reason. The reason is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, the writer gives three descriptions or three reasons why we can come reverently to the throne of grace and ask the God of peace. What are these three descriptions? Well, the first description is that God raised Jesus from the dead. You see it there? Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. What's the reason we can approach this holy God? Because Jesus is raised from the dead. There's a resurrection. There's there's an empty tomb. 
Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Have you, you realize that? If Jesus had not raised from the grave, we would be the most hopeless, helpless, and hell-bound people on the planet. But the tomb is empty. And we can approach this holy God because of the empty tomb. We have a living hope because of the resurrection, as 1 Peter would say. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So reason number one or description number one is that we can approach this holy God is that he raised Jesus from the dead. We have a risen Savior. But there's a second description. The second description is that Jesus is our great shepherd. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now Jesus often referred to himself as the good shepherd. But the writer of Hebrews calls him the great shepherd. The resurrected Christ, the great shepherd. Now, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd leads, guides, protects, and feeds the sheep. He's the great shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are young. It's the imagery that God picks you up, and God carries you, and God leads you, and guides you, and is always with you as your great shepherd. What did Jesus say in John 10, 14 through 15? I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. 1 Peter 2.25, you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd, that's Jesus, and the overseer of your souls. I find it interesting that even in heaven, Jesus is going to be our shepherd. Listen to this description of heaven in Revelation 7, 16-17 talking about us who are in heaven. They, us as believers, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb, that's Jesus, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We have a resurrected Savior, Jesus. He's the great shepherd of the sheep but there's a third description jesus shed his blood as the mediator of the new covenant now i don't have time to unpack all of this because the writer of hebrews has been talking about that throughout the whole book and he brings it to a close here but he says there at the end of verse 20 by the blood of the eternal covenant by the blood philip hughes has written this He says, the price of our peace was the blood of Jesus on the cross. The proof 
of the acceptance of that sacrifice on our behalf is his resurrection from the grave. The price and the proof. The price and the blood. The proof, the resurrection. Now what is this covenant in blood? Well, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he was celebrating Passover, what did he say to his disciples in Luke twenty two twenty? Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Covenant. What's a covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two people, an agreement in blood. So what's the agreement between the two people? Is it between us and God? No, here's the beauty of it. There was an eternal covenant between God the Father and God the Son. Before the foundation of the world, before creation, God the Father said to the Son, I'm going to send you to die for the sins of my people. And Jesus said, I'm going to voluntarily go and I'm going to do that. And they entered into an eternal covenant. And when Jesus came and when he died on the cross, he finished the work. Now, what did Jesus cry out when he died on the cross? It is halfway done, right? It's somewhat accomplished. I went halfway, you go the rest. Now, what did Jesus say? It is what? Finished. It's paid fully in blood. Hebrews 9, 12. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus shed his blood as the mediator of the new covenant. You don't get this in your English translations, but you get it when you study the original language. Where it says, our Lord Jesus there, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. It's emphatic in the original language. It really should be translated, even our Lord Jesus. Focusing on the Lord Jesus. So, so here's the, the foundation. Here's the reason. The reason why we can approach this holy God who's a consuming fire, this God of peace, is all because of Jesus and what Jesus has won for us. Because Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood. Because Jesus rose again from the dead. Because Jesus is the great shepherd that leads us and guides us and protects us. So everything in this prayer centers on Jesus as our great Savior. So we've seen, number one, the reverence. I'm coming into the presence of a holy God, the God of peace. I can't approach this God of peace in my own works. I have to come, number two, the reason, through the merits of Christ, through his death, his burial, and resurrection as the great shepherd of the sheep. Okay, let's look at third, the request. So what's the request? This is a prayer. What's the, what are we actually asking here? What's the actual prayer request? Well, the main verb in this passage of Scripture starts in verse 21. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Okay, here's the request. Equip you. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. May God equip you. God promises to equip you with everything you need. That word equip is an important word. Before New Testament times, that word was used in medical practices to set a limb, to restore a shoulder, to repair a fishing net, to furnish a room, 
It appears 13 times in the New Testament. It can mean to restore, to prepare, to furnish, to mature, to instruct. But it's very specific here in this prayer request. What are we asking God to equip us to do? Read your Bible. What does it say? Equip you with everything good to do His will. It's not just this generic equipping, but it's equipping you with everything good to do the will of God. So is that your prayer as we start 2024? Is your prayer, Father in heaven, I want to do your will. I want to do everything good in in obedience to your will. I want to be faithful to walk in your ways. Would you please equip me? Would you furnish me? Would you mature me? Would you work in me? Now, we're not left up to our own devices because there's another verb in this passage of Scripture. It's, it's not the main verb. The main verb is equip, but underneath that, there's this other beautiful verb that God promises to do. Do you see it there? Equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing. Think of it this way. God not only equips you, but He empowers you. God not only gives you everything he needs, but he works in you the ability to do it. He's working in you everything that you need. It reminds me so much of Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, verse 12 says we have a responsibility to work out our salvation. We have a responsibility to take advantage of the means of grace that God has given us. Reading our Bibles, praying, going to church, fellowship, Lord's Supper, all the things that God has given us. We have a responsibility to take advantage of those things. But verse 13 tells us that it's God who works in us to give us the ability and the desire. You know, there's two extremes to to this approach of Christian growth. One is extreme passivism. One says, I don't do anything. It's kind of the let go and let God mantra. I'm I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to get up and set my alarm to do my quiet time. I'm going to go to bed with the Bible on my head, and I'm going to wake up and hope by by osmosis I've learned something. No, you've got to take some responsibility. You've got to put forth some spirit-empowered effort to set your alarm clock, to get out your Bible, to read your Bible, to go to church. Yes, you've got to do that. So, so, so passivism is this whole thing. I, I don't, I'm not responsible for anything. Now, the other extreme is legalism, where you do everything in your own power, everything in your own flesh. Everything is like, like you're grinding it out to try to win brownie points with God. That's not the point. The point is, God gives you two things. In verse 13, Philippians 2.13, God works in you to give you two things. I'll say it like this. God gives you the want to and the can do. Okay, so think about it that way. God gives you the desire to want to obey, the want to, and God gives you the power to obey, the can do. So you can say, I want to obey Jesus, and I can obey Jesus. Why? Because God's working in me. That desire doesn't come from me. That ability doesn't come from me. It comes from God working 
in me. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He makes this very helpful statement. It means that every good desire, every Christian thought and aspiration which I have is something which has been produced in me by God. God controls my willing. It is God who energizes my very desires and hopes and aspirations and thoughts. He stimulates it all. So what is God working in us? So, so, so God is equipping us to do His will, and He's working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Pleasing. So when you are doing God's will, you are doing what is pleasing to God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word acceptable is the same word for pleasing here in Hebrews. When you're transformed by the renewal of your mind, you're able to do that which is acceptable, that which is pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit gives you that power. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do this? What's one of the main ways you are equipped and empowered to obey God? 2 Timothy 3.16 all Scripture, the Bible, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped. There's that word again, equipped for every good work. How are you equipped? Well, the Holy Spirit will equip you. God of peace will equip you. How does He primarily do that? He does that through the Word of God through the word of God nothing comes from you everything comes from Christ in you and the good news is that we're not left alone to do this in our own power the Christian life is not God helps those who help themselves the Christian life is I'm helpless and I'm clueless and I'm desperate and God says, that's exactly where you need to be. Because that's when I'm at work. When you think you've got it all figured out and you're, you're, you're kind of doing things in your own power, that's when you kind of go off the rails. John 15, 5. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, does Jesus mean apart from me, you can do nothing? Like you can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Apart from me, you can't shoot a free throw. Apart from me, you, is he talking about like things you can't, he's talking about anything of spiritual consequence. Apart from Christ in your life, you cannot produce anything of spiritual or of eternal value. Think about the imagery here. I'm the vine, you are the branches. We're to abide. Abide means to remain or stay or to dwell. And so we receive our spiritual sustenance through Jesus. You see, He's the vine, we're a branch. The branch does not produce the growth. The branch does not produce the sap. The sap comes from the vine. So our spiritual energy, our strength comes from Christ working in us as we abide in Him. Apart from Him, we can literally do nothing of any spiritual or eternal value. We must abide in Him. And He promises to equip us. He promises to work in us that which is pleasing. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. Now, there's been some funny things over the years with this word workmanship. It's the Greek word poema. We get our word poem. And it kind of is a little weird, like we're God's poem. For those of us men that kind of like, we don't like poetry, that sounds kind of weird. I don't know if I want to be God's poem or whatever. That's not really what it means. It's, it's, it's deeper than being just God's poem. That word workmanship really means that you are a product of a master, a master artist, a master artisan. And it's not just a poem. It could be any great work of art. It could be a sculpture. It could be a building. It could be a tower. It could be a bridge. It could be an intricate piece of pottery. Basically, back in those days, craftsmen would make crowns of beauty. It carries the imagery that God is the master artist, the master builder, the master sculpture, and he's sculpting you. He's building you into something wonderful so that you can do good works for his glory. God is working in you. He's equipping you with all things. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. God's given us all things. To do what? To do His will. To do what is pleasing. Let me say this. You are most like Jesus, when you do things that please the Father. You're most Christ-like when you desire to please your Heavenly Father. Listen to what Jesus said Himself in John 8, 29. And He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to my Father. So you want to be like Jesus? I always do the things that are pleasing to God. And God is equipping me for this, and God is working this in me. God is not leaving me to my own devices. 2 Corinthians 5.9 So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. That word aim means to earnestly aspire, to have a strong ambition, to make it your highest goal. So let me just ask this. Is your highest goal Your greatest ambition as we start 2024, can you say in your heart of hearts, my greatest ambition moving forward in this next year is to please Jesus, to do His will, to do what pleases Him, to make it my aim to please God. So let's retrace our steps. We've seen the reverence. It's to the God of peace. What's the reason? the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. What's the request? God, would you equip me with everything to do your will and and, and work in me what's pleasing? Okay, what's the last part of the prayer? The result. What's the outcome? What's the result? Well, notice that it all comes back to Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It centers back on the glory of Christ. Now, this is very interesting. This is the only New Testament passage that starts out as a benediction and ends as a doxology. What's a doxology? A doxology is like, to the praise and glory of God, blah, 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 amen. 
So this is a, this is a benediction that transforms into a doxology. So you kind of got a two-for-one here. You had a benediction and a doxology because it ends with all of this is going to the praise, to the glory of Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. So, so what's the result? So, so as you live a life that's pleasing to God, as you live a life equipped and empowered to do God's will, what's the ultimate result? The glory of Christ. Everything comes back to the glory of Christ. The writer of Hebrews starts the book of Hebrews with this in chapter 1, verse 3. He, talking about Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The glory of God should be everything. The glory of Christ 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do everything to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So let me just ask you a question. As we start 2024, is it your aim, your desire to glorify God? Jesus in everything. Let us glorify God who is our peace, the God of peace. Let us glorify God who raised Jesus from the dead. Let us glorify Jesus because He's our great shepherd. Let us glorify Jesus because He shed His blood as the mediator of the new covenant. And let us praise Jesus because He equips us with everything we need. And let us glorify Jesus because He works in us that which is pleasing. And it all goes back to Jesus. So, I'm going to challenge you with something today. As we start 2024, I challenge you to memorize this benediction. Memorize it. Let it stick in your mind. Let it stick in your heart. Let this prayer inform your goals this year, inform your aspirations this year, your plans this coming year. Put everything through this filter. Whatever I'm going to do in 2024, let it go through this filter. Now, may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing through Jesus Christ, to him be all glory forever and ever. Amen. See, it's not that hard. It's two scriptures. Would you commit it to memory? Would you let it be the filter through which every decision, every ambition, every goal this year you're going to do? Make it your aim to please Jesus and be confident that He will equip you and He will empower you with everything you need to serve Him in 2024. And when it's all said and done, He alone gets all the glory, not us. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer to the Lord with your Bible open and your eyes on it. 
Spend some time alone asking the Lord to equip you with everything good to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing. So just spend some time praying this, this scripture back to the Lord in your heart of hearts, asking him to do what this passage is telling us, to equip us. So would you spend some time alone with the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ? We approach your throne of grace with boldness, not because of anything that we bring to the table, not because we're all that, but... It's by virtue of the fact that you have brought us into a relationship of peace through the death, burial, and resurrection of our great shepherd, Jesus. And Father, as we come into your presence, we ask, the way we're instructed here in Hebrews, that you would equip us, that you would mature us, that you would give us, equip us, furnish us with everything that we need to do your will. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're working in us that which is pleasing. We're not left to ourselves. You work in us. You energize us. You're the vine. We're the branches. We want to abide in you. We want to please you. We want to honor you. So Lord, our prayers, we start 2024, is that we would be obedient sons and daughters of the King and be equipped and empowered to do your will. And Lord, help us to use this passage of Scripture as a filter for every decision that we make, every plan that we have. Is, it, is that, Lord, is this going to glorify you? Is this going to please you? Is this, is this going to be something that, that's going to redound to your glory? Are you going to equip me for this? So, Lord, help us just to, to let this passage of Scripture just begin saturating our hearts and minds as we launch into the new year. That we would be a people that are all about your glory, all about the glory of Christ not about our own, but about Christ. And so, Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we thank you that you're our great shepherd. We thank you that you died on the cross and rose again. We love you. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that's never trusted you for salvation, they, they have not bowed the knee to the great shepherd, they have not given their life to Christ, would today be the day where they would trust you for salvation, repent of their sins, and know that they have peace with God through the blood of Christ Jesus. So, Lord, would you equip us and empower us as we launch into 2024 for your glory alone. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.